and welcome to Spawned, a common sense and hopefully fun discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Kristen Chase. I'm Liz Gumbiner, and we're the co-founders of CoolMomPix.com. And on today's episode of Spawned, we're going to be talking to science journalist and amazing author of a great book called How to Break Up with Your Phone. Catherine Price will be joining us. And as always, we'll close out our show with our cool picks and podcast of the week. We'll be right back with our guest, Catherine Price, right after this. This episode of Spawned is brought to you by the book, The Floor is Lava, which contains 100 games, including The Floor is Lava, that don't require any devices or equipment, just your brain and someone to play with. It's great for road trips, family vacations, or just family game night. Put down your phone and pick up The Floor is Lava, available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your books. All right, Liz. So let's talk a little bit more about our wonderful guest, Catherine Price. Wow. She's like one of these smart ladies who, you know, I look at her resume and I'm like, I have done nothing with my life, Kristen. (laughs) She's an award-winning journalist, speaker, consultant. Her works appeared in publications from the New York Times and the Washington Post to Salon, Slate, Oprah Magazine, Men's Health, you name it. She's also the founder of Screen Life Balance, a movement dedicated to, as you could guess, helping people scroll less and live more and find more balance in their lives. And her latest book, How to Break Up with Your Phone, which Liz, I saw your book, Shelfie. You know, they're called that, Liz. They're called Shelfies. Oh, they are? Yes. I'm on trend. I saw it on (laughs) your Shelfie. So as you might imagine, it's about helping people create healthier relationships with their digital devices. Get this. It's being published in 26 countries, translated into 18 languages, and has received attention from all the popular, amazing media outlets around the world, including Spawned with Kristen and Liz. So welcome. I'm Catherine. Thank you guys so much. You just really help with my imposter syndrome. <laughs> if you have imposter syndrome, let me just tell you, there's no hope for the rest of yeah. us. <laughs> You're incredible. Like I'm reading all your awards and everything you've done, everything you've written, and I'm like, wow. So we're really happy to have you on because I know this is a topic that we all struggle with. And as many times as we talk about it, we still struggle with it. That's true. That's true. Okay, so Catherine, you just came from guitar class. You told me this, and you said it's part of your whole screen life balance, I don't know, movement that you're doing. Can you tell us more about it? Sure. So when I started working on how to break up with your phone, which, by the way, I should just clarify to listeners, I don't mean throw your phone under a bus. I mean create a better relationship with it where you feel more in control of how you're using it rather than looking up from an Instagram spiral and wondering what happened to the last 45 minutes of your life. <laughs> so more like go back to dating non-exclusively. Right. right exactly. Not a complete right. breakup. Friends with benefits, something like that, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Exactly. So as part of that, my husband and I were doing a practice of taking 24-hour breaks. We called it a digital Sabbath, um, which wasn't our term, but just a (laughs) 24 hours, Friday to Saturday. And I was having this afternoon on Saturday where our daughter, who at that point was, I don't know, like maybe one and a half, she was taking a nap. So I couldn't leave the house without being branded completely irresponsible. But I realized I had no idea what I wanted to do with my time. I'm just sitting there. It's like 2 p.m., Uh, in the same room I am speaking in right now. And I found that to be really existentially upsetting because I naturally catastrophized and was like, I'm just waiting for my life to pass. I can't think of what I want to do except for like (laughs) scroll randomly through my phone. 
I really need to figure that out. So I started to ask myself, okay, well, what are some things that you always say that you want to do, but you quote unquote, never have time for, and you just haven't gotten around to. And one of the things on the list I came up with was learning how to play guitar because I play piano, but I, I don't know how to play guitar. And I remember this like children's music class that we take our daughter to, the teacher had started these adult guitar classes, BYOB in the evenings, really laid back. And so the next time I was online, the next day I signed up for a class and that was about three years ago. Wow. Yeah. And so I've been going pretty consistently, I would say. It's the kind of thing where you can't beat yourself up if you can't make it every week. But I, I have been going. I even joined the choir for a year. Wow. And so just had our spring concert where we no one was paying for this concert, but we played uh, a repertoire, including Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi and oh, Indigo Girls. Okay, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. great. That's like a good karaoke night for Kristen and me. It was pretty much a good karaoke <laughs> night in general. And it's just the kind of thing where, you know, as adults, you don't really get to just play, whether it's playing music or just playing. And so it's this group of people I never would have met otherwise. And it's amazing to me to feel how happy I am when I get home from guitar class and think that's the result of reevaluating my relationship with this metal rectangle that I keep in my pocket. <sighs> that's the point, isn't it? Right? We're going to get back to that. <laughs> yeah, we just end our conversation <laughs> there. That's it. Take guitar. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually curious whether you feel like it's not just your actual time that's been freed up, but do you feel like your emotional energy gets freed up or your mental energy to be able to focus on this stuff more? Definitely. And I'm also fascinated by the fact that there's scientific reasons for that because I find, not just for me, but the people I hear from, and I have a survey on my website that has thousands of responses now, so I feel like I can confidently say that many people experience a sense of anxiety and feeling busier than ever but less productive and just feeling mentally exhausted all the time. And many people have this intuitive sense that it might have something to do with their phone. So if you're one of those people, I just want to validate it's true because basically when you're on your phone, you're trying to do multiple things at once, whether it's flipping between or swiping between apps or looking at different pieces of content within an app. And every time you add a new piece of information to your working memory, you're actually taxing a part of your brain called the prefrontal cortex. It's the part that actually allows you to think rationally and make decisions. Wow. And so when you kind of feel overwhelmed and then you just like deal with that by then going really into Instagram, that's actually because of neurological things that are happening in your brain. So yeah, I do definitely do feel that I have more mental energy and space as a result of thinking more critically about my phone. Okay, hold on. I'm going to go throw my phone out the window. You guys <laughs> keep no, talking. You're, you're going to want to call an Uber and you're going to get it right back. No, don't throw it out the window. Now, I know we want to talk to you about what else makes our phones so enticing. And I was really taken by, there was a, a part of your book kind of up front where you talked about how apps are designed without stopping cues to alert us when we've had enough. And that really resonated with me. And it made me think of Las Vegas, how they like pump in oxygen into the casinos oh. and they keep the lights on and they shut down the windows so you don't know what time it is. So you don't have any way to kind of self-regulate. That's kind of intense intense when you think about it that way. Oh, yeah. I mean, our phones are definitely designed directly after slot machines in particular. They're often referred to as slot machines we keep in our pockets. Every comparison one could draw between the two machines is entirely deliberate. They have similar features, similar cues. As you're saying, no stopping cues. The stopping cue is some kind of obstacle that you have to take action on in order to keep going. So the example that I like to give is if you're eating a pint of ice cream, and you reach the bottom of the ice cream container, that actually is a stopping cue because you finish the container. And so if you want to keep eating the ice cream, you have to get up off the couch and either get some from your fridge or actually go out and buy some, which you could do, but it requires you to say, oh, I want more ice cream. I will proactively do something to get it. 
as opposed to having, for example, a social media feed that is endless. I mean, there's a well-known experiment where researchers actually made bowls of soup that filled from the bottom. So as you ate the soup, it never reached the bottom. And people ate more with the bowls that didn't have a bottom because there was no stopping queue. So as you're saying, casinos are deliberately designed without windows at all and with no clocks Mm -hmm. because they don't want you to have any sense of time. I know. I really like blackjack and I know all these things. Yeah. Yeah, So you don't really realize how long you've been sitting in front of the table or whatever. And there's a cacophony of noises going on. There's bright colors, all these things that are very stimulating in an extreme overwhelming. And it all adds up to making you lose track of time. And then you combine that with some of the design tricks that are built into both slot machines and our phones that are meant to manipulate our biochemistry to make us actually get into a reward-seeking loop, combining a lack of stopping cues with design elements that are deliberately chosen to mimic slot machines. And when you put those together in a device that we keep really within arm's reach 24 hours a day, it's very easy to develop problematic behaviors. But that is because the business models of many apps depend on having us lose track of time. That's how they make money. That was a lot. No, that's good. And it's important. And it's based in science. And as someone who played Candy Crush for like a good solid year. I get it. Like, I I get it. I was like, oh, I'll never pay for this. And I was like, all right, I'll just buy like one thing. And then like, uh-huh. you're like spending money. It's really addictive. I admit it. Like I, you know, I was there and then I was so embarrassed by it that I was like, I'm going to go back to solitaire or something really simple. Just so you know, you're not the only person to uh, really like Andy Crush, just in case. You oh yeah. I've heard like, it was just a, like me. three or four other people in the world. <laughs> it made a few dollars. Right, right. Exactly. You were their profit. Just so Catherine, you mentioned social media and I know in your book, you're very frank about it. I mean, this is like, you're like, dudes, people, this is hardcore. You need to listen about social. It's not just the apps on your phone. It's the social media feeds. And we totally get that. But I know a lot of people out there use social as a connector. It's a community. And so I'm wondering what the signs are for people to know that it's doing more harm than good. I mean, I guess there's obvious ones like you're sitting at two in the morning checking your phone, but I think sometimes there are more subtleties that people could potentially pick up on. Yeah, well, I would say, first of all, we should all be very angry at social media companies because they're ruining the positive experience that could come from those apps. Because the reason ostensibly we go to Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, Snapchat, whatever it may be, is to connect with people like you're saying. But they're business models are based on advertising. And anytime a business model is based on advertising, it depends on your attention. So essentially, if the business model is advertising, you are not the customer of that app. You are actually the product that is being sold. Your attention technically is the product that's being sold and it's being sold to advertisers. And in the case of social media apps, it's both your attention and your data, the information they can gather from you to show you targeted ads. And the longer you spend on the app, the more targeted ads you're going to see and the more information they're going to collect about you. And to be clear, it's not just like what you like or the comments you leave, although they certainly analyze all of that stuff. It's metadata, like what you looked at for how long and what you did before you got to the social media site and what you bought after you looked at a particular picture so they can predict your behaviors in the future. And that's concerning both in like a creep factor kind of way, but also in a this might be undermining democracy around the world kind of way, which is like a much bigger (laughs) issue. But my point being like, this is really messed up. And I think that as consumers, we should be insisting that there be better controls on 
these companies, primarily Facebook, because it owns Instagram and WhatsApp, and then Google as well, so that they're not able to capitalize upon stealing our lives from us and our children's lives from them. Oh my them. gosh, this got dark fast. Got really dark fast. <laughs> we can talk about guitar more if you want, but I mean, it's really well, point I, being like there would be a way to have a social media app that did not function like that. It would require us to pay for it. So that's an interesting question to ask yourself is would you pay for your current social media habits? And I've asked people that, and it's very interesting. The majority of people say no. And so even when people say like, I like Facebook because it lets me connect, I don't know, with like your crazy great uncle or whatever, probably not that person. <laughs> and your but, babysitter and your ex-boyfriend. Or promote your website <laughs> or your brand or sell yeah, your product right. or do your job. Yeah. yeah but, but when you ask people um, what apps make them feel the worst after they use them, social media is basically at the top. It's like social media, games, dating. It's basically all of the ones that are modeled after slot machines. Wow. So anyway, getting back to your question, how do you know if you have a problem? I would say that it depends on the individual. You can really just ask yourself, do you feel like you use it too much? Do you feel that it actually is making you more joyful and connected? Or is it is it really building your brand? How much of the time you spend on social media that you say is for work purposes really is truly for work purposes versus allowing yourself to get sucked into a spiral? And as I say that, I even don't want to say allowing yourself to because you're being manipulated. So I think that a lot of times people will blame themselves when they see how much time they're spending on a social media app and they don't fully realize that it's not their conscious mind that this is this making a decision about continuing to scroll the apps are designed to manipulate your subconscious mind so what i say to people is to start by asking yourself what do you actually want to use social media for and if it is just like mindless scrolling for a while that's completely fine but ask yourself how long you'd like to do that for and recognize that just like junk food can be absolutely delicious for a few bites and then make you feel nauseated if you eat the whole bag the same is true with social media so where is your point where that brief indulgence if it is for the purpose of an indulgence crosses the line to making you want to like vomit on yourself Right. Like that's what you're <laughs> and then like, for example, for me, I mean, yeah, I'm trying to build a brand around screen life balance. For example, I don't like being on social media because I just don't want to let that suck my time, you know, but like when I'm on social media, I have to ask myself, okay, what's the purpose here? Like, what am I posting? What do I want to get out of it? How do I get in and get out as quickly as possible? That would be different from someone who's going in purely to consume content. So anyway, I, I encourage people to ask themselves, what's your purpose? Are you going there to consume content? Are you going to post content? If it is for your brand, how can you make sure that it actually truly is for that purpose instead of allowing yourself to get sucked into this other mindless usage of social media? Right, right. And then you kind of take it from there. It's very useful that there are now timers like an yeah. Instagram. Yes, in the screen time app, there's all kinds of things that you can use. I mean, you can set it on yourself. You could actually set your own downtime. You know, I, I think it depends on the person, like you said. I mean, I know there are a lot of people who feel a lot of pressure and anxiety and stress and guilt or shame or whatever it is from seeing all the beautiful photos. Like, I don't care about that. For me, and I know for Liz and for a lot of our colleagues, like this is how we make our living, right? So we're making our living on other people's attention, <laughs> which now I'm starting Hopefully to feel a little bad. Although about we're it. not selling your data. We're not selling your data, but we, you know, <laughs> we we do make our living. And I think one way, yes, is to go into it looking at our purpose. Like right now, I'm going to work. And then maybe later I'm going to use it for personal use, which I think is great advice. And I think that's something that we could utilize. Any other tips? I know we've had like Jake Knapp on, we've had Dr. Mike Brooks on, and they've given some advice to people, specifically those of us who work 
in social. So it's not something that we can just not do. No, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of mom bloggers and influencers yeah. and people like that who listen to our podcast and who are yeah. podcasting themselves. And so it's not just about the like reading and scrolling and posting. It's also about the liking and commenting and creating online connections that like kind of reciprocal relationship that people try to build online. I mean, honestly, that's how Kristen and I met and started a business together was because we were leaving comments on each other's sites. So I do understand that there there is, you know, a, a benefit to it socially. There's a benefit to it from a business perspective, especially for a lot of moms. But I also hear you that it like you may be blurring the lines more than you even realize. So what else can we do? Yeah, so several thoughts on that. Uh, one is that I often hear people say, I have to be on social media because of X, Y, Z. And I'm like, okay, well, let's break down what have to be on social media means, really. Because for a lot of people, the way that they're acting on that is to have all the notifications enabled and then have the social media apps interrupt them in the middle of whatever it is they're doing so that they are always available, they're beholden to the social media apps versus saying, okay, social media is very important, essential to my job. I need to be on it, but that doesn't mean I need to be on it literally 24-7, allowing it to control the time that I spend on it. So instead I would say, okay, well, what makes sense for me in terms of what I feel would be productive and essential for my business? Is that checking it every hour and engaging? Could you check it three times a day? I mean, I don't know what the answer is because it depends on the person, but basically like what schedule do you want to be using it? What you'll find very quickly is that's where you can start to begin to separate out your supposed quote unquote have tos from your dopamine driven habit loop. Like, Mm. um, you know, where you're like, no, wait, why am I still checking? I know practically speaking, because I've thought about it. I only need to check, I've decided three times an hour. Why is it that I'm still trying to look at it? So that'd be one thing. Another thing that comes to mind is I actually have worked with people in the news, like Dan Harris from Good Morning America, where I was like, oh God, I don't know. I mean, can I help people like that with social media? Because I know that Twitter is very important to journalists. Mm -hmm. And what he ended up doing is he took Twitter off of his phone entirely. And what he does is he just checks from his desktop and then he reinstalls the app, as he put it, if he encounters a Twitter-related emergency in the field, whatever that may be. (laughs) I think that's good. And I'll I'll give you like a shortcut to that. Like I took Facebook and I moved it off the front page of my iPhone. It's like three screens down. And I I don't get any alerts, but I also just don't see it. And so I'm actually not on Facebook all that much compared with Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, you can really manipulate yourself by making... Yeah. It's it's called ease of access with addiction psychiatrists. They'll call it ease of access. I knew you'd have a term for it. Yeah, so if you get it off (laughs) your home screen, that's one. But I encourage people, I mean, I call it an on-again, off-again relationship. I do it myself with Safari where I enable it and disable it pretty frequently because email is my problem. But I encourage people to experiment with that. And then the third thing I was going to say is just in a broader sense, recognize that you have a budget of attention. It's kind of like your bank account. And we need to proactively decide how we want to spend that attention. Because if we don't make that decision, apps are going to come and basically like whittle away at our attention budget. We're going to be left with very small slivers that are essentially meaningless. Like you can't buy anything with 33 cents or something when you started with $100. So what I encourage people to think about is, yeah, okay, maybe engaging with social media is very important to your brand. Maybe you do make these connections that led, for example, to this conversation we're having. But what's the opportunity cost of what else you could have done with that time and attention? And is it worth what you did with social media? And even if the social media is legitimately worth it, would it be okay to not maximize that? I mean, I struggle with this myself because I'm a perfectionist, but maybe just being okay at engaging with people on social media is good enough if it means that you then have the time and attention and energy to devote to the other things in your 
attention budget, like your kids or your guitar classes or whatever it may be. Yeah. Time and attention is finite and we're not going to be perfect yes, at everything. I appreciate that. I can share my own experience. Yes. When I was writing my personal blog, Mom 101, I spent years, literally years, probably because I was in a terrible relationship. So I had a lot of free time. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, as I was building my site, I commented back to everyone who commented to me. I went to every single blog. I had this list of, I was probably visiting 100 blogs a day and leaving comments. And it was not as easy as it is with like Twitter, Instagram, like you had to type in a URL and scroll around and read a post. And I loved it. And I realized after a while, like I was burnt out and I thought I need more time and attention to go other places. And I had to wean myself off of commenting on everybody else's posts all the time. And I remember feeling very guilty about that and thinking, you know what, I'm just going to have to acknowledge the fact that if people want to read me, hopefully they'll read me because they like what I'm saying and not just because they're hoping I'll comment back. And hopefully they'll understand that when something really is wonderful that I will comment or I'll support them. But I can't just comment on everything or be like, go you all the time because it was just taking up hours of my day. And you know, once I stopped doing that, I actually felt more fulfilled and more productive. I didn't feel like I lost readers. I felt like I was able to connect with the people I really wanted to connect with. It actually worked out pretty well. And I could see where a lot of moms and women in particular, you know, we're so socially driven. And I can see where it's scary to think of like alienating people or you don't want to hurt people's feelings. Or I mean, the other thing I do is I unfriend people on their birthdays. <laughs> it's like the worst ever tip. <laughs> But when because oh, you were when, reminded of them and you're yes, like, because yeah, the birthday comes don't up care. and I go, I don't know who that is. That's and amazing. I think I probably met them at a conference once, like seven years ago. <laughs> and I figure if I wouldn't wish them a happy birthday, I shouldn't be like okay, sharing that my private is stuff amazing, with them. Liz. I never even knew that. That's the best. I try to like that. That's a way to naturally wean your. You're like, here's our my final happy birthday, and you'll never hear from. I wrote a post about it once, and people still say that they remember that. And I know that sounds horrible, but that's the reminder. They pop up my feed, and I go, I like. Jane Doe. I'm like, I, I don't even recognize well, her. Can I just say, I, so as someone who does a lot of social media for other people, I really appreciate your point of, you know, only having like 33 cents left, right? Like I have other projects. I have other things I want to be doing and spending my time, you know, my prefrontal cortex. I need that. You know, I need it intact. I've got right. four kids I'm chasing right, Because when it gets stressed, it goes offline and then it's even worse. You get, yes. get even more distractible. Your prefer it's like the newest part of the brain and it's like, oh, see you later. I'm really tired. And you're like, ah, yeah. no, no, I'm left with like the amygdala. That's not where you want to be. That's no, not I don't. Good. And I live in my amygdala way too much. So that's how, like, I can't. And so, you know, this idea of not having enough left really resonated with me, but also just to remind ourselves that it's always going to be there, right? Like, you can always like another post. It's a to do list that never will end. There's always something you can do. So you've got to be the one who says, you know what? I'm taking 15 minutes. I will go like and comment on as much as I can. And that's all. I'm going to do because the truth is you could be on social for 24 hours and it still would never end. It's always going. It's like Las Vegas. So I don't yeah. know, maybe I'm just talking to myself. No, no. I think you make an important <laughs> point important. also that reminds me of like, there's a, a very human trait of reciprocity. Adam Alter makes this point in his book, Irresistible, but I'm sure other people do as well. But basically like if you get one of those LinkedIn things, that's like so-and-so wants to connect with you. And do you want to connect with all these other people? And you're like, oh, I have to connect with so-and-so they thought of me. And you don't realize that the algorithm from LinkedIn just picked your name along with like 50 other names that seemed based on connections of connections that they probably knew you and then suggested that they connect with you. And then you're like, oh, I have to connect with them because they thought of me. No, they didn't think of you. And the same thing I think is true with likes. You're just going through in your 15 minutes liking everything you can. Well, think of what you just did to the other person because now they just got a like from you. Now they feel socially responsible 
for liking something of yours. So you're essentially wasting their time. So that's one way to think about it. Um, but also you brought up an interesting point I think about, this is true for men as well, but m- women in particular about caring for other people. And we forget that we really need to nurture ourselves. And if you're in a creative profession where, as you were saying, you're writing a blog, writing's freaking hard. I mean, I certainly know that myself. It's much easier to do like little dribs and drabs. I don't know if that's an expression. My husband always says it, but dribs and drabs of your attention where you're like commenting on something or liking something and letting your creativity kind of seep out from you in these little tiny pieces. And you're left with not enough creativity in the same way that we were just talking about the attention budget. You're just letting your creativity be drained from you by what is essentially meaningless. And you're not actually protecting your creativity, protecting your attention so that you can create something that's truly meaningful that hopefully other people will want to share. So, I mean, the motto I often have in my head when I think about Instagram is to be the story, live a life that's worthy of sharing with others, potentially don't make a story out of it, but think in that way. Like you want to actually be living and experiencing your life, not looking at it through a screen, unless that's truly what you want to be doing in that moment. But for me as a writer, I feel that email does that. It saps my energy. It saps my creativity. It's very difficult for me not to look at it first thing in the morning, but then I'll end the day. And I'm like, oh, what did I do? I answered email. That's being in response mode and letting other people dictate how you are using your time, which is the same thing with social media. If you're consuming or liking and commenting, which again is fine if you've proactively decided to be in response mode. But I personally find that way too often I end up letting my inbox take control of how I'm spending my time and attention instead of waking up and saying, what do I want to create or accomplish today? And that's something I'm really working on. We've done entire posts on great tools to help you manage your inbox like Boomerang or Mm -hmm. there are like so many great things that work with Outlook or work with Gmail so that you can only get your mail pushed through once every hour, for example, so you're not constantly checking and refreshing. Yes. There's like a lot of tips like that. We'll put them on Cool Mom Picks on our podcast page so that you guys can find them. I'm just hearing so much that it's about control. And I'm also hearing that I am a little out of control. (laughs) As we're talking, I'm like, we all are, we all are. But I know, but I'm, I feel like I'm usually really good with boundaries. And, you know, I feel like I'm just hearing like, yeah, check your email twice a day and be done. Liz, you're really good with that. But can we talk about multitasking? I want to get to your 30 day plan for breaking up because I know that's super important. And I know everyone wants to hear about that. But I love talking. Liz knows this. I love talking about multitasking. And I feel like this is something that so many of us, I think particularly moms, it's how we survive or like we think that's how we survive. And also it's something we feel like we're good at. Like we brag about it. Like we got 14 things done in 15 minutes, you know, and so we feel good about it, but it's not really good. And can you talk about perhaps more of the science behind it or why we really need to focus more single task overall for stress and all that good stuff? Sure. Yeah. So we first should define it, right? Multitasking, because people tend to think that they can do it and we really can't. Multitasking strictly defined is doing two cognitively challenging things at once. So if you're like, I can multitask, I can fold the laundry and listen to a podcast or talk to my kids or whatever it is. Yes, you can do those things. Yeah, and we should say you should. You should listen to podcasts while you yes. fold your while laundry. While you do the laundry yes. or you know, unload the dishwasher or whatever. That's different from multitasking in the sense of trying to talk to your kid while you're also liking things on social media or answering an email mm. while you're on the phone. So there's a saying, I'm going to not attribute it correctly right now, but I have it in my book, which is from this Buddhist monk guy. I'm sure that, that's how he likes to be attributed. The Buddhist monk guy. <laughs> and he says, uh, try to think two thoughts at 
once. See, you can't. <laughs> and I thought that was the most succinct <laughs> way of capturing what multitasking truly means and how we can't do it. With that said, there's been very interesting studies done, and many of these were done before smartphones, because unfortunately the main researcher died around 2009, showing that people, first of all, cannot do that. It's true, you can't think two thoughts at once, and you can't do two cognitively demanding things at once. Um, but what's more, the people who thought they were the best at multitasking were the worst. Yes, there's a Brain Games episode about that. Yeah. Listeners, listen, if you've watched Brain Games on TV, it's amazing. It's so good. It's a great like how-to kind of show with your kids about how the brain works. And they did a whole episode on multitasking and they had a guy who had to drive a simulation. It was an actual car and do math problems at the same time. And he was sucking at both and that was scary <laughs> for drivers on I the road. I remember that episode. Yeah, it, was, it really made an impression. Yeah, and there's actually, there was Recently, a special Diane Sawyer did. It was called Screen Time. And they started off this two-hour special. I was very impressed with this footage from a research study in which parents were asked to come into the research center with their kids and play with Legos. And then for two minutes, just two minutes, they were asked to ignore their child in favor of playing around with their phone. I don't think it really mattered what they were doing, but basically like clearly turn their attention to their phone in a way that so many of us do. I'm not trying to like parent shame, by the way, but this is very interesting. You can see the video of how the kids reacted. And I really recommend that people watch this because it really is so eye-opening where the kid is able to tell immediately that your attention is not on them. And the way that they start to try to beg for their parents' attention, whether it's with words or with their physical actions, I think is very powerful. And the people in the study who were interviewed afterwards said, you know, having seen the footage, I'm going to think twice about trying to multitask in this case with screens and my kids, because I just didn't realize how much it was affecting them. And as adults, we see that all the time. Yeah. I mean, if I'm on a business call and someone's talking and suddenly they start going, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, they're checking Twitter while they're talking to me. Like I can tell right away. And like, I do it too. I think we're all guilty. So right, I'm glad right. that you talked about not parent shaming because yeah. I think it's pervasive and universal and we all do it. Well, we do it too with our friends though. You know, like you, it's called fubbing, like phone snubbing. You, when you check, <laughs> it's, called, it's like objectively crazy. If you think about it, like you wouldn't just pick up a book that you were in the middle of and say like, uh-huh, uh-huh, I'm just going to finish this chapter. Uh-huh. But we do that and we like answer other people. You basically let another person in the conversation. There's been studies showing that the mere presence of a smartphone, even if not used on the table, will reduce the perceived quality of the conversation because basically anytime your attention is divided between two things, you're not going to do as well as those two things. So one thing I always encourage people to do, both in the book and then I've got a free challenge at phonebreakup.com that's like a week long, just kind Ooh. of like dip your toes in the water thing. But one of the challenges is to try to spend a day doing just one thing at a time. And part of the point is just to help people build awareness of how often we try to do two things at once. I'm always trying to make the bed while I brush my teeth. Oh my I, gosh. I have not been able to stop that. It's not really effective for either one. <laughs> I of don't know tasks. how you do that. I brush my teeth in the shower and I thought that was kind of like too much, but wow. I don't think I could make my bed. I would like drool toothpaste all over yeah, it. Yeah, I have a lot. <laughs> I go in waves. Like I can do the single tasking and I make a list. I actually do kind of what a couple of our guests have done, but I, I'll schedule myself out like by half hour or by hour. And I'll be like, I'm just going to focus on this for this amount of time. And I go in waves with it. It is so hard, so hard. to just focus on one thing. Okay, let's talk about this 30-day plan. You've got the seven-day plan over at phonebreakup.com. Can you talk about the 30-day? That sounds really scary. I That's don't know. what's so good about how to break up with your phone. It's not just all of this great research, which it is. Yes. But then you get to this whole technology triage part where you literally give people a day by 
30-day, one-month plan for slowly weaning off your phone. So can you just kind of give us the basics of that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So it's a four-week plan. And people say, why four weeks? Well, first, because everyone likes 30 days. But also because the time we spend on our phones, which is averaging out to about four hours a day, which is crazy because that's about 60 full days a year of your life you're spending on your phone, just your phone, not your other screen. And it's probably more for us, Kristen. Oh, I'm sure it is. I'm thinking about all those days. Anyway, okay, go on. 60 days. I'm with you. So the time we're spending doing that, if you think about it, if you spend four hours a day doing anything, you're going to change your brain. The time we're spending swiping between apps and looking at our emails and looking at social media posts, it's actually changing our brains in ways that make us more distractible. So the reason it's 30 days is because it actually does take time to change your brain. The good news is you can do it. And then I really wanted to have it be a guide to habit change in general that happens to be through the lens of the phone, but you can apply the techniques to other areas of your life. But basically it starts by saying like, okay, well, where are you right now and where do you want to go? Because if you don't know where you want to go, like have a positive goal, you're pretty much doomed to failure. If you just say, I want to spend less time on my phone, like that's not a positive goal. That's not really something to aspire to because it's kind of an absence of something. And if you did succeed in that, you're going to end up with an awful lot of free time that you're going to have to fill, similar to what I was describing when I was sitting on the couch and was existentially depressed. So I tell people, first, you got to know how much time are you spending on your phone? What portion of that time do you feel good about? Which portion do you not feel good about? Like what parts do you love about your phone? Because this is something that's often lost in the discussion is that our phones are genuinely amazing tools. I don't think anyone has a problem with like Google Maps. Like who's getting sucked into Uber, right? (laughs) Who's getting sucked into like my Wait, chart. I kind like, of do. Ooh, okay, you are. <laughs> I'm a data nerd. I'll be like, ooh, let me zoom in and look at that picture of that. Well, oh. it's really the infinity apps, right? Like, yes. I feel like the yes. infinity apps are the issue, and they kind of take over your phone. Yes. And so then you forget about how awesome it is because you're like, oh, you know, yes, it's a GPS. It's a music player. It's a camera. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of awesome things about it. So I love that it's so personalized. And also, as someone who worked in the therapy field a long time ago, goal setting, objective setting, you definitely always want to set goals in the positive. It never wants to be about taking something away because it's just the way your brain works. It doesn't, it's not as effective. That's what I like. Catherine, you're like a tough love technology relationship coach. I do do feel like a couples therapist. Yeah. You can put that on your LinkedIn. Okay. I will. I totally will. Then I'll never check it again because I never think to go to LinkedIn. People are like, I can't. There you go. You live it. Catherine, you live it. Exactly. But yeah, so, you know, so the first week is really about assessing, like, where are you right now? Which parts of your phone are making you feel good and you want to keep? Because, like, why feel bad about something? Like, if you love taking pictures of your kids, then, like, don't stop doing that. That's fine. Or podcast, whatever. But which parts make you feel gross? Because that's the part you want to work on. And then also, like you're saying, set a positive goal. So do, what, what would success look like in a month? Would it be reading three books? Would it be, like, planning a vacation? I don't know. Whatever it is for you, achieving something at work, you can choose what you want. But have a positive goal to aim toward. And then the second week, that's when you get into more actually changing your physical environment and your phone itself to support those new habits that you're trying to establish. The example I often give is if you say, I want to read more, and you have identified that your phone's getting in the way because you're always checking your phone before bed. Why? Because you use your phone as your alarm clock, which means it's in your bedroom, which means it's going to be the last thing you touch before bed and the first thing you touch in the morning because you have to touch it to get the alarm to stop. I'm raising my hand here, by the way. That is me, admittedly, 100%. So I get it. that you can get an alarm clock. There's very nice ones. Or just a toddler. I just use a toddler. Um, That's effective. (laughs) We have dogs. (laughs) 
don't have I a have lot three of three dogs, so they help me. Exactly. <laughs> so in the second week, you're basically saying, okay, well, if I want to read more, I got to get the phone out of the bedroom. But then you also have to put a book or a magazine on your bedside table so that when you instinctively reach for the phone, which you will, because it's a very ingrained habit loop in your brain. So don't beat yourself up about that, but put the alternative there instead. And frankly, we're all so lazy. Like my husband and I have arguments about who's going to turn the light off. So like getting out of bed to go get the phone is much harder than just saying, oh, I meant to read that magazine article and it's right there. I could just reach three inches to get it. So the second week is all about like what changes can you make to your phone and your physical environment? And with the phone, it's stuff like, as you were just saying, get Facebook off your home screen, ideally temporarily, at least off your phone entirely. Um, have your phone be a tool and not a temptation is basically the uh, overarching theme of that. And the third week, although you can start this anytime, is really about doing practices to rebuild your, I call it muscle of attention. So oh, boy. About, like your, your, your muscle of attention is flabby, people. Like we just, we worked so hard through the it's course so of our bad. Three, so bad. Which so is so bad. freaking hard to like concentrate on one thing, ignore everything else in your environment, which is evolutionarily stupid to be able to do because what we call now a distraction could be a threat, right? If you don't pick up on the slight movement in your peripheral vision because you're so focused on your book, then you could miss someone trying to hurt you. Like I got mugged for my phone once because I was on the phone with my husband. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Didn't see a guy coming with a gun. So like there's real world consequences to the fact that we get so engrossed in our devices, but we need to step back and actually retrain our brains to do that. Like right now we're very good at getting lost in the phone, but we're not so good at sustaining attention on say the written word in a book. And so many people have experienced that where you're like, oh my God, I really used to read a lot of books. Now I can't do it. And I, I can say from multiple people's experiences that that is actually not that hard to get back. Well, that's good to know. Gosh. And then what's the last week? Are you making up then? Are you making up during the last week? <laughs> yeah, or so you... The last week is basically like, I don't want to leave you at the end of this just feeling good. And then immediately you just go back to your old habits. Ah. So in between the second to last and last week, I encourage people to take a 24 hour break. And I kind of build up to that. You could do it at any point. But the point is to actually feel what that's like. And the point there is that the mere act of paying attention to how you're feeling in the moment about your experience is a powerful tool for behavior change. And there's a really interesting series of studies done by this guy, Judson Brewer, who's now at Brown about smoking cessation. We're just training people to be aware of the physical sensations of smoking a cigarette, the taste, the feeling of pulling the cigarette out, the you know smell of their breath afterwards, whatever, and then noticing the cravings as they come and go, like not necessarily engaging the cravings, but just noticing, huh, there's a craving. I wonder what's going to happen with that. That actually was twice as effective compared to the American Lung Association's gold standard treatment program and getting people to quit and then five times as effective in the long run. So what I try to really encourage people to do, this is throughout the whole challenge, is just to start to pay attention. Like notice what situations make you reach for your phone. Notice when you do look down and notice your phone in your hand and you don't know how it got there. Um, one guy I worked with, this reporter at the New York Times, he noticed that whenever he went to buy something at the cafeteria, uh. he would check his phone in the three seconds it took for his credit card to process. He's like, what am I doing? I know. I've been there. <laughs> you can't change a habit if you don't even realize you have the habit. And the cigarettes is a great example because as a self-righteous ex-smoker, <laughs> I can tell you that I, like the second I ha- had like nothing to do with my fingers, it went to a cigarette. And I do the same thing with a phone now. Like yes. I just transferred one habit to the other. Yes. So 
I, I totally admit it. I'm just thinking about all the hobbies I'm about to get back. I'm going to get that book written. I have like so many plans already just from talking to you. So people really need to go out. They need to go get the book. It's called How to Break Up with Your Phone. And you also have a new initiative. So if people want coaching, they can head over to ScreenLifeBalance.com. Yes. You've got a lot of websites happening. I know. Folks won't really find you on social. Let's be honest. <laughs> a little bit. You can connect <laughs> a me. A little I mean, tiny like, bit. Twitter is like Catherine underscore Price. And then uh, Instagram is Screen Life Balance. So you can try it there. And then I'm, I'm trying to get better at that, honestly, because I do think there's a useful purpose for those platforms, even though I disagree with their business models. And I love hearing from people who have tried this out and have had you know questions or, or feedback. Oh, great. And people can use the hashtag. I see you've got a hashtag. So if anyone from Spawn gives this a try, you can use hashtag phone breakup. You also have hashtag screen life balance. All right. So we will, of course, link up all this stuff we talked about, all the links over on our Cool Mom Picks podcast page. And we will be right back after this. All right, Liz, we're playing a game. Are you ready? Yes, I love games. Okay, Liz, the floor is lava. (laughs) (laughs) I used to play that with my kids when they were little. Did you? They had to like jump on all the stuff. And My kids play that now. They'll yell it and I'll be like, what, 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 wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, I think they would like fall off our coffee table. We're not quite like toddler friendly anymore. (laughs) Jump on the furniture friendly like we used to be. But I'm so excited to welcome our new sponsor, The Floor is Lava, which is such a cool book because you know how much I love car games and made up games and offline games. In fact, we talked about this like I think early in the podcast where we talked about all the games that we would make up with our kids when they were little in the car to help make road trips more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And how timely, given that we are talking with Catherine Price about going screen free and taking a break from our screen. So the book is called The Floor is Lava. It has 99 more games along with The Floor is Lava to make 100 that everyone can enjoy. You don't need any devices. You don't need any equipment. Liz, you just need your brain and someone to play with. Imagine that. Look, it's like, you know, you're over I spy. You can't play another game of, you know, geography where you come up with a word that starts with the letter that the last place ended with because my kids <laughs> run out of like A words after the third round. This book is going to give you a hundred ideas so that you have lots of cool things to do in the car at family reunions or on the beach or camping. We've been talking about camping a lot lately. Yes. Great to leave with the grandparents or for the babysitter. So you can head over to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever you get your books, put down your phones and pick up The Floor is Lava, available now. Don't actually pick up the floor. It's lava. All right. Well, now it's time for Cool Picks of the Week. Cool Picks of the Week. And Catherine, your first, what is your cool pick? <laughs> well, this is funny because cool pick makes me feel like I'm in sixth grade and stresses me out. So originally I was going to say that my cool pick was two apps that I use to help manage my own screen life balance, which one is called Inbox When Ready. And it's by this Icelandic guy named Peter. And it's going to sound really simple, but basically it hides the number of new messages there are in your inbox so that you cannot see the little number Wait, that tells you. Wait, hold on. Really? Yes. Whoa, Liz, yes. can you believe that? It hides no. the number? That's amazing. And some of you listeners are like, what's the big deal? But I assure you that actually seeing the number of new messages in Gmail is extremely distracting. So with Inbox When Ready, you're able to just go into your email, not see any indication of how many messages you have, not see your inbox at all. And you can still search for messages. You can still compose messages. So you can actually get in and get out much more effectively. I love that. 
I also love Freedom, which is an app blocker. I could not have written my book without both of those extensions and apps. And Freedom, it works slightly differently on iOS versus um, Windows stuff. But basically what you can do is you can set sessions ahead of time where particular collections of apps and sites you block. So you can say, I do not want to have access to Gmail from, you know, I don't know, like 9 to 10 on Tuesdays. That's my hour when I'm going to try to write my blog or whatever it may be. That's game changing. And then my other one was garbage bags. Um, my husband and I really like to maximize stuff. It's kind of an issue we have. So if anyone just wants to know like the best garbage bags out there, hippo sex. What? They're really good. Wait, I thought you said hippo sex at first. <laughs> and I was like, this is a family show, Catherine. It's my other cool pick of the week, hippo sex. It's just, hippo, you just wait, wouldn't what are, know. You what know? are hippo socks? <laughs> hippo socks. They're garbage bags. They're the best garbage bags. I'm looking them up right I, now. I don't know of these hippo socks. Oh my God. Hippo sack. H-I-P-P-O-S-A-K. Hippo sacks. I've never heard of them. My husband has, he maximizes everything. And I can tell you that these garbage bags, un, they're not really like known about, but they're really great. And and I know people are like, what's the big deal with garbage bags? Garbage bags, a garbage bag. No, no, no. Bag. A good garbage bag. I'll tell you what, we have that simple human trash can. And, you know, we're like, oh, they get you because they make you buy the bags that fit in the trash can. I know. I don't. I buy the bags that don't but fit in the trash can. those bags are awesome. They do fit. A ton of stuff in there, but I will try for you, Catherine. I will actually, I'm not ordering them right now because I'm trying to single task and I'm talking to you. So I'm not going to order them, but I'm going to get some hippo sacks. And also um, there's a guy I know who makes really nice alarm clocks and phone sleeping bags, which I should mention called, it's called Bagby. And he has very nice analog alarm clocks. So if you're like, oh, I don't want to have my phone as my alarm clock, but what will I do? Where will I get my alarm clock? He's got really Okay. You're nice a fount of information. Cool picks. You've given us four cool picks. I, I think well, it stressed me out. I also no, no, no. seaweed snacks. I could keep going on. <laughs> you on as like a guest editor and you can just post a post I know, like you're just going to be doing cool you picks. Want. You've given us like alarm clocks and sounds like animals having sex, but it's actually not. They're garbage bags. Okay. <laughs> garbage bags. I'm going to go now with my cool pick of the week, Liz <laughs> yeah. and Catherine. I actually finally tried beauty counter really? makeup. Yes. I've never uh. tried it. I was at a party and I bought the cleansing balm and the dew skin, which is, I guess, their tinted moisturizer. And I have uh -huh. to say, ladies, so far, so good. I'm impressed. I had never tried it. I'm very hesitant to try things that I haven't seen unless Liz has approved of them. <laughs> so I wanted to like touch it and put it on my face and my hands. And so I just want to say shout out to Beauty Counter, not sponsored or anything. I'm loving the cleansing balm and I'm loving the dew skin. So anyway. Somebody once sent me one of their, um, it was like bath scrub stuff, like exfoliation stuff for Christmas. And I thought, oh, I'll try it. And you know what? It was pretty good. Awesome. It was pretty, pretty good. All right, Liz, what about you? What do you got? Oh, okay. So in keeping with the hippo sex eco-friendly <laughs> stream that we're on. So my 13-year-old Thalia is on this major eco-kick. Like, if you pay attention to the news, if you are on Twitter, like me all the time, then you know climate change and the environment are massive issues with the younger kids these days. Which is great. Yes, it's phenomenal. And my daughter's coming home with like 8 million things that we have to do and we have to change, and I love it. And so one of the things she did, she put this like poster all over our house, like right on the wall in front of the toilet so we couldn't miss it in the morning. <laughs> and it's a list of seven things we can do to save the earth. In fact, you know what? I'm 
going to put it on Instagram or something because it's so funny. But one of the things was use metal straws. She is completely obsessed with the idea of metal straws now that they're starting to ban plastic straws. You can, in, in New York and elsewhere, you can only have them if they are like paper biodegradable. So we went and for like eight bucks for eight of them or something, we went and we bought a whole thing of metal straws on Amazon and they're great. And so now she's like the straw police. Like she makes sure if we pour iced coffee, she's like, use a metal straw. And she wants us to carry them around with us out of the house so that if we go to Starbucks, we can put in our own metal straw. And like, I'm trying to get in the habit. You know, I just bought one for my 10 year old and it came with a, with a cleaning brush, which I was very happy about because they're very difficult to clean. From like babies, but it's like a teeny, teeny little, like a pipe cleaner kind of fantastic. I love all these picks. And then, of course, we have to give a shout out to our cool podcast of the week, our friends at the Mom Hour, who were so kind last week. They told their listeners about our OutTech Your Kids Facebook group. We had this influx of new followers, and we're like, where are all these people coming from? And well, they're, they're great. Yes. Like, they're the most smart, informed, interesting, chatty, cool people. Like, I, I love all these new followers. They're really cool. Yes. And they all came from the Mom Hour. I know. And that is hosted by longtime friends and fans of ours, Megan Francis and Sarah Powers. We are fans of theirs. Oh, fans of theirs. They well, may be friends of ours, but I think I'm, they're fans of ours, fans too. Of <laughs> <laughs> that was a little presumptuous. Ways. They're fans of theirs and ours. <laughs> anyway, their weekly conversations offer practical tips and real-life encouragement for moms who want to enjoy motherhood more and cut back on comparison, worry, and stress. And they talk about everything from opting out mm. to things that they shouldn't have freaked out about when their kids were little so you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's called The Mom Hour. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Spawned. And thanks, as always, to our awesome engineer, John Bowen. We love hearing from you. And guess what? People are actually listening to us, Liz. They're they're leaving Yay! us reviews on iTunes. Really nice reviews. We are so happy. Like, Kristen will literally call me and be like, we got a new one, and it's so nice, and it's so funny. So much gratitude to all of you who just take the time to click over while you're listening. Click on those little five stars and just write something nice. It makes us feel really good. We are real people with real feelings. (laughs) (laughs) And please make sure to subscribe. In fact, if you haven't done it yet, you can do it right now while you're listening. Unless you're driving, don't do it then. Wait. Wait until you get somewhere and then subscribe. (laughs) And be sure to download or save our episodes. And you know what? We are having so much fun in our Spawned podcast community on Facebook. If you are not there, please come and join us. It is growing. It's like a really nice, fun group, too. I'm really I'm really enjoying being there. And you're like getting makeup advice and I'm asking all kinds of personal questions. I really like it there. Anyway, you just have to search Spawned Podcast Community on Facebook or you'll see it on the Cool Mom Picks page. We'd love to have you join us and chat about whatever you'd like, whatever you hear on the show here today or any other day or something you didn't hear about at all. (laughs) We're very chatty, as you might know. (laughs) And guess what? Our book club is continuing. Liz will be hosting a Facebook Live and an Instagram live. So pick your poison <laughs> when it comes to social media. You're, what book are you talking about this time, Liz? Oh, we, Angela Santomero, who we love. She's yes. been on the, the show and we're going to have her on again. She wrote an amazing book called Radical Kindness that is just, it's life changing. It's short. You can read it in like 
an hour for Ooh. real. Or don't even read the book. Like, just join us. It's like a super low maintenance, no pressure book club. Just come Wednesday, June 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern, right on the Cool Mom Fix Facebook page. And we'll be talking about being kinder to yourself, being kinder to others, and making a kinder world in general, which we could all use a little more of right now. I absolutely agree. Well, thanks so much for listening to Spawn. This is Kristen. And this is Liz. Have a great day. Bye. I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're the co-hosts of the Mom Hour podcast. And between us, we have eight kids from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share ideas and encouragement and remind you that it's all going to be okay. In every episode of our show, you'll hear practical tips, judgment-free advice, and real stories about how we handle parenting challenges in our own families. We hope you'll come away feeling like what you're experiencing right now is normal and that you're not alone or crazy. We talk about stuff like working motherhood, potty training, being a school parent, and getting meals on the table. From new motherhood to tweens and teens, we've got you covered, and our personalities are pretty different, so that's always fun. Yep, we're not experts. We are parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Join us at The Mom Hour, available wherever podcasts are found or online at themomhour.com. Hold up. 